Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio with me is David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. Hey, David. Hi, Susan. So glad you're here today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) In spite of not feeling your perkiest and your very, very best. um, I'm entering the Christmas shopping season with a cold. (laughs) Of course you are. Of course you are. Um, Today's topic, I think, is a very interesting one and timely, uh, not just because of the season, uh, but because of... The, the, the more we looked into this topic, the more broadly um, impacted uh, it seemed that women are by the disease of addiction. And every, every particular type of drug or alcohol um, that we looked at, it, the disease is manifesting itself much more clearly in the wives of wi- lives of women today, and that was startling. So it started with this report in the Wall Street Journal. And it was it's interesting because it's, it's not that we haven't done shows before about women in addiction, and, right. and, and we've often talked about how substances impact women um, and all these different substances have their different effects but what really struck me when I was reading this was how um, how how rapidly it's increased going um, from from being well below males in 2002 to pretty much on par now yes. in 2013 was the study that I, that really struck me was that women's consumption and and addiction level was on par with men and their health consequences far exceeds males. Correct. So the study that we're referring to um, is um, one about uh, alcohol is killing more women and younger. And um, that alcohol in general is killing more people. We know that last year, almost 100,000 people in the United States alone died of alcohol-related illnesses. But what uh, has been really surprising is, as you say, David, the idea that many more of these folks are actually women. Um, From 2007 to 2017, Deaths in general related specifically to alcohol increased 35%, um, but the death rates among women rose 85%. Wasn't that a crazy number? That's really scary. It makes you really stop and look at that, that these numbers, that it, that in particular rose so quickly in that short a time frame. Um, and, and what can be causing such an increase and and what was striking me as I was looking at it was was how um, there's so much more of an emphasis on on alcohol in particular and and women's everyday life than there used to be yes um, th- what struck me was was that suddenly wine has become a part of children's first and second birthdays right. and wine has become a part of every social event and 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 part it was talking about how the women in their twenties drank on par with men in their twenties, right? Um, um, but this was really talking about how now women in their thirties are drinking like they're still in their twenties, and and having um, 
um, the social pressures and the experience of that as if they were still in their 20s, and it's having, having quite an impact. And as they follow social media, they see more and more blogs, more and more websites, more and more um, uh, groups that are associated with women and drinking. Some of it in a health-conscious way, but the vast majority of it is related to, I need a drink. I have a right to drink. Um, The stresses of my life are requiring me to drink. And it's it's even moving to the idea that I have to drink in order to be a social member of our society. Mm -hmm. That book clubs now will be a a wine-drinking time period, and women drinking to excessive levels where once upon a time that was not heard of, and if they were drinking to excessive levels, they were doing it in private. Now it's becoming much more the norm for women to drink to excessive levels Mm -hmm. amongst their peers. I noticed, for example, not that I get my nails done a ton, but the last few times that I've gone in to get my nails done, I've been offered a glass of wine. And I just find that so very interesting. In the past, I'd be offered a a bottle of water, um, or usually the question wasn't even asked if I wanted something to drink. Now it's, um, what kind of wine would you like? Would you like red or white? And I just find that very interesting that it has become so commonplace and almost expected in any kind of activity uh, whether it's in a workplace setting or whether it's uh, at a, a birthday party, alcohol is really incorporated to a, a large degree. Now, most people are able to use alcohol in a reasonable way. I think that needs to be made really clear. But the problem for most people is that they don't um, necessarily recognize that even though their risk of developing the disease of addiction or having the disease of addiction manifests itself in their life, and uh, they are not recognizing the health effects. For so many years, we talked about the idea that alcohol may actually decrease your risk of cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. And that is just looking less and less like the case and that the countries that they used to point to who had high alcohol consumptions, when we look at the rest of their lifestyle, including very um, reasonable diets, and not just in terms of the kinds of foods that they eat, but the amounts that they eat. Also, the amount of activity, exercise that uh, other countries are involved with. That may, as we look at it a little bit more closely, explain some of the reduced heart disease (laughs) rather than it being attributed to um, their consumption of wine or other alcohol products. It, uh, It definitely makes more sense. When you think that in, in most of those countries, they're, they're much more mobile on, on, and walking and doing a lot more daily activities than, than we do here in the States where we're often sitting behind desks and in our cars and at our televisions. 
and eating vast quantities of food, which is uh, one of the other pieces of addiction that we may or may not get to today. But uh, in, in staying with the idea of women and alcohol, it is not only surprising that we are seeing women drinking at the same level and intensity as men, that um, I, I know that I have described this before when I was in my training, when I was in medical school, we used to talk about the risks um, profile for someone developing alcoholism, and the first thing on the list was being a male. It was just commonly accepted that almost all alcoholics were men, and it was commonly accepted that very few women had this uh, disease, and we'd see that reflected in the uh, people coming in for treatment and who was in treatment um, uh, for alcoholism. Most of the time it was men, Mm -hmm. and we're seeing this this shift, tra- and tremendous at, shift. At meetings, you certainly still see most of most of the people are males, um, and, and in treatment groups, real often it's it's mostly males, um, and so there's still that perception, and you know a lot of the focus is that that males are much more apt to seek treatment for or to be in treatment for substance use because of circumstance, DUIs, work situations, mm-hmm. wives that are saying this has to stop. Um, but they don't have as many barriers to treatment as women have. Um, and so women aren't seeking treatment. And part of what was interesting is that it was talking about how women actually seek treatment for other issues much more often than males do, where they can go get uh, see a counselor or they have mm-hmm. some sort of medical issue. They're much more apt to go take care of that. But when it comes to substance abuse, then it's too taboo and they, they don't seek treatment. Um, some of that um, are, is related to the barriers. You mentioned some of the barriers to treatment, and certainly finances are one of them. Often women um, are, are underinsured or they work in situations where they don't have the support of their boss or the company that they work for to be able to take time off for treatment. Often they don't have um, access to child care, and this is a really big deal for most women. Even when they're married, it often appears, I'm not going to say it is, but it often appears that the child care duties uh, fall to the, the female mm-hmm. and that the male often will help out with babysitting, but um, not necessarily assume that child care responsibilities are equally theirs. So there are um, financial reasons, there are um, logistic reasons, and there are certainly uh, shame associated with, with being Women a asking woman. for help for that situation right. in particular. The other thing that you mentioned that I think is really important and that if we have any healthcare providers out there listening today, they need to think about women may be seeking treatment for other illnesses, medical illnesses, or even psychiatric illnesses, depression, anxiety, that may be related actually to their use of drugs or alcohol. 
we know, we know, and we've known for a long time that women are much more likely to have consequences related to their use of alcohol in particular. We're going to talk about tobacco uh, because we can't not talk about tobacco. Right, absolutely. <laughs> um, but that women are much more likely to have health consequences earlier and more significantly than men related to their use of alcohol. Well, and if we just go ahead and mix all these substances together, right? <laughs> part of part of what it was also talking about was how women are when they're seeking um um treatment for pain situations. Right. For migraines, for headaches, for for pain, they are much more apt to leave with a script. Correct. than males are, and they're they're um, perception of pain is going to be different, but also the perception of the doctors wanting to relieve them of that pain is is going to be different. So they're they're getting exposed quicker, and 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 with opiates, the their duration from first exposure to um, opiate use disorder is much much faster. Is much much faster. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about women and addiction. Thanks for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio with me is David Donaldson, who is the CEO and Clinical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Very glad to have you with me today, David. Thank you. Very glad to be here. Um, especially since you're not feeling 100%. I appreciate your effort um, to be here. 
Today our topic is um, women and addiction, um, the unexpected risks and the unexpected face of addiction. Because I think when most people think of someone who has the disease of addiction, they are not necessarily thinking of their grandmother or their daughter or their sister or their cousin. They're thinking of a male. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking of someone um, who is living under a bridge, maybe. Uh, the idea that women can have this disease is really still not quite socially acceptable, although the stigma against women drinking has certainly come down. Yeah, that's gone down quite a bit, and and so it makes total sense that that women are going to be having the consequences of drinking just like men do. Part of what was so interesting in that initial article was that this whole push with the opioid crisis, with all Mm -hmm. of those deaths... um, has really kind of obscured the reality that that alcohol has been impacting our society for a long time and that the impact of alcohol on women is is rapidly increasing in so many different areas um, health-wise. And there's some really interesting reasons for that. Not just um, are women generally smaller than men. Um, They have more fat content, no offense anybody, but our women's bodies tend to have a larger percentage of fat than do men, but they're also missing an enzyme in their stomach that is very important to the metabolism of alcohol. So when a man starts to drink and alcohol hits his stomach, there is a enzyme that's contained in the stomach of the male that's called alcohol dehydrogenase, and it begins to detoxify the alcohol while it's in the stomach. So less alcohol actually gets released into the bloodstream because it's already started to be digested. Women are missing that enzyme, and we didn't... So when women drink, all of that alcohol that they drank now gets released into their bloodstream, circulates to their brain and their liver, which explains why women are more likely to have brain-related disease and liver-related disease because of drinking. We didn't make too much of this until we started seeing people who are having gastric bypass surgery or surgery to uh, reduce the size of their stomach. Uh, the ruin Y was the initial one, and part of the um, stomach was actually cut away, and there was um, uh, a diversion of the stomach contents directly into the small intestine. There are other things now. There's balloons, and there's um, uh, belts, and there's all different ways in which they make the stomach smaller. But one of the things that they began to discover was that people who heretofore had not really Um, used alcohol to any great extent or had a problem with alcohol after they had this gastric bypass or gastric reduction surgery, now suddenly men and women were much more likely to um, drink excessively and drink alcoholically. And that began to help us think a little bit more about the differences between men and women and what happens in the stomach. Um, I, I remember in that time period when when people would have gastric bypass surgery and they would be presenting with full-blown alcoholism yes. within two years. 
Very um, short period of time. And there would be all kinds of speculation in terms of the weight loss and more more um, alcohol being absorbed and how they're um, more apt to go out to bars and do more things that are more social. And it was these explanations that were just because they're they're more presentable, they're in more situations where they're drinking. Right. But in reality, what was going on was that the alcohol was hitting their brain much faster. And th the other part of it is that it stays in the women's system much longer. Yes. So not only do they get the experience quicker, but it takes them a lot longer to, to detox off of it. Um, and it's causing damage the whole time. The whole time. And that's one of the really... Um, scary diseases is that women are more likely to contract contract um, alcoholic liver disease such as hepatitis um, or to die from liver cirrhosis than um, are, are men and um, they are much more likely as well to have brain damage and we see this with our women as we do some of our neurocognitive testing, that in a shorter period of time with a pretty significantly lesser amount of alcohol, women are having more cognitive dysfunction. They're much more likely, if they drink, to have blackouts and to report blackouts. Now, that doesn't mean drinking till you pass out, and that's often a common misconception. When we ask people, have you ever blacked out, they think, oh, I've had so much to drink that I've fallen asleep on the couch. No, blackout means that your brain has gone offline. You are walking, talking, interacting with people, but you don't have any memory of it. And women are much more likely... Um, to have blackouts and to have them sooner than men and much more likely once they start to have them to have them more frequently. This also reduces their brain size and it's really um, it's really kind of scary. So when when it's when it says it reduces their brain size mm -hmm. um, what, what are they actually talking about? Because I, I, I know I always watched a, um, a show where a doctor was talking to a man, actually, who had been drinking, and he wasn't alcoholic. He was just a regular drinker. But the doctor was able to show him, this is what your brain should be like, and this is what it is, and this is a direct result of alcohol. Um, and so that was enough evidence for this particular man to stop drinking. But that it's white matter that's lost at this? No, or? it's actually gray matter. Now, white matter is actually like the electrical insulation around a wire that allows the um, electricity to flow through a, a wire or um, a plug that you might use to uh, charge your, um, your cell phone, for example. So the white matter is actually insulation and, um, and parts of the brain that make the brain work more efficiently. The gray matter are actually the neurons. Okay. So these are the cells, the brain cells. We know that the hippocampus, for example, that's the memory center of the brain, becomes much smaller. So the memory issues that we see in people who have been drinking and they don't remember what they did last night... Um, becomes much more expanded and they begin to not remember things even when they're not drinking 
and have a lot more difficulty with short-term memory. Not so much long-term, what they did when they were a kid, but the short-term memory. And that's because the hippocampus, that part of their brain that stores memories and takes things from short-term memory to long-term memory, is actually shrinks. Another important thing that shrinks in the brain is the cerebellum. It's in the back of the brain, and it's responsible for balance, for coordination, um, for our ability to stand on one foot or walk in a straight line. Any of this sounding familiar? (laughs) Um, These kinds of functions are controlled by the cerebellum. Certainly when you're uh, intoxicated, your cerebellum is going to be really impacted, Mm -hmm. and that's why people have trouble with field sobriety tests. Um, But over time, we begin to see that the cerebellum is actually shrinking and not nearly as effective, and we see a change in the way a person walks. A chronic alcoholic or heavy drinker will now have a much wider base gait, meaning their feet are further apart. And that's because of the impact of the alcohol on their brain. Right. Because real often you think of that, you think of it's related to uh, peripheral neuropathy. And sometimes it's that. And that they're not really feeling the ground beneath their feet. And sometimes it's that. But also it's because of the effect of the cerebellum. And the cerebellum is responsible for how quickly we think and process information. So when the cerebellum is now functioning less effectively, the rest of your brain is going to function much less effectively. And and this is really significant. We've known about this for a long time. In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about wet brain and they talk about brain damage that happens. We now call it alcoholic dementia, but um, the reality is is um, it directly affects the neurons, the nerve cells of the brain. They die off, they get smaller, they get less efficient, they stop working, and that is not good because the brain literally shrinks. Not, not, <coughs> not good. The other thing that shrinks are your bones. So they become much more brittle and more, more prone brittle. to breaking. Osteoporosis can be directly linked, uh, linked to, oh, I'm getting my words all confused, um, directly linked to issues related to drinking. We know that um, in our, our clinic at the Atlanta Healing Center, one of the things that we take a very close look at are things related to hormones. And yes, opioids affect the hormone production much more um, strongly, intensely, shall we say, than alcohol, but alcohol's right there next to you. For women, they often affect not only their ability to get pregnant and their fertility rate, but it also may bring on early menopause. They may um, experience menopause sooner, and that can also be related to why they might have more osteoporosis and have a greater risk of fractures, um, particularly of their hips. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about women and addiction. So please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, 
You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Today, David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center and myself are talking about the new face of addiction, which is women. Uh, we've always known that um, addiction affects women. Uh, we've always known that there were problems, but uh, some recent studies are really raising the red flag, so to speak, not just about women and addiction, but women and their use of alcohol and tobacco as being really high risk. Because of the way women metabolize alcohol, they have a lot lower leeway (laughs) than men do in terms of what is low-risk drinking versus what is high-risk drinking. So certainly for women, low risk, not no, no risk, but low risk is considered one standard drink of alcohol per day and no more than seven in a week. High risk would be more than three drinks in a day and more than seven drinks in a week. That's not a huge leeway when we look at at the difference for men. For low-risk drinking for men, it's two drinks per day uh, and no more than 14 a week. That's double the amount that women can drink drink and and be low-risk. Now, if you're over 65, then um, (coughs) one alcoholic drink is the standard for everybody, and uh, seven um, 
the standard for everybody 65 or older, male or female. But uh, women don't have a lot of wiggle room. So if they make it to 65, life balances out. Right. But before then. <laughs> before then, men have a lot more wiggle room. While we were talking about the health consequences, the thing that struck me also was in, in relation to tobacco, that um, the impact on women with tobacco use is is um, got it to a point where where lung cancer and death because of of cancers related to smoking mm-hmm. um, for women actually surpasses breast cancer. Yes, and, and you know that's striking because in terms of leading cause of death for women, the thing you always hear about pink everywhere it's it's breast cancer, breast cancer. and there's marches all over the place. Um, but in reality, th- that the increased use of alcohol and, and the increased use of tobacco, and in combination, the alcohol and tobacco, is, is a really deadly impact. They, um, the American uh, Lung Association estimates that uh, last year, two hundred and one thousand seven hundred and seventy women died in the United States related to smoking. That's a huge amount. Last year. Last year. Uh, almost half a million people die of um, tobacco-related illnesses every year in the United States. And over 30,000 people die every year of secondhand smoke-related illnesses. So, yes. The, the risk of breast cancer is horrible. We're all aware of that. Um, even the football teams are wearing pink outfits uh, when they play in the month of October. But what we really need to be thinking about is, um, is the idea that um, tobacco is taking a huge toll. And directly connected to 80% of the lung cancer deaths in women in the United States. Um, The same study highlighted that 70,700 women died from lung cancer or bronchial cancer in 2014. And I'm reminded of of conversations I've had with with women um, in early recovery from alcoholism um, where they've talked about the reasons they started smoking or the reasons they're still smoking. um, And, and, you know, it's... it's, it's, um, Tragic, you know. They they'll they'll start smoking to fit in and be social. They'll continue to smoking cool. to um, not drink, or to not eat, to watch lose their weight. diet, to lose weight, and that will become the the thing that ends up um, causing all the damage. And I have talked to women who have clearly said to me, "I'm afraid to stop smoking, and I'm not going to because I'm going to gain weight." They're more afraid of gaining 5 to 10 pounds than they are of literally losing their life. This is astonishing, but it is a clear uh, representation of, um, of the mindset and the difficulty that we face in terms of looking at um, women and, uh, and the differences in what motivates women to begin to use drugs and alcohol, what um, 
encourages them to continue mm-hmm. and what are some of the barriers that are all of these are different than men and most of the studies have been done on men for all kinds of medications for all kinds of treatments not just addiction treatments but we clearly understand women have a lot of differences not just in how they metabolize drugs or alcohol but in how the drugs and alcohol get a hold of them and have them continue and in particular how the how how the medications that are used to help people are going to respond differently Correct. for males and females. You know, the, the, with smoking, the, the standard medication is bupropion. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to do the brand name. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and it's a certain dose for a period of time, and then you go up to a higher dose, and you set a quit date, um, and then you're supposed to be good to go. Um, but that's different for a lot of different people, and if, if they're not taking the time to actually share their experience with their physician and able to talk about this is how it's impacting me, then they'll just decide it didn't work and quit. The timing of when a woman decides to quit smoking or quit drinking really matters. And I don't just mean today or tomorrow. I mean in regards to their menstrual cycle. The closer they are to actually having their period, the more likely they are to have increased cravings and increased symptoms of withdrawal. So if you're setting your quit date for either alcohol or tobacco or other um, substances, you might want to look a little closer at the calendar and pick the days right after you finish your period as being much more likely to be conducive to your success. So there's all kinds of things that are different about um, men and women, but um, they certainly impact a woman on a very regular basis. Before we leave breast cancer and alcohol, though, I just really want to help people understand that breast cancer has been clearly linked to the consumption of alcohol. And the more you consume, the greater your risk. So each additional 10 grams of alcohol, which is equal to a four-ounce glass of wine, four ounces, half a cup, um, 10 grams or 4 ounces of wine raises the relative risk of developing uh, breast cancer over a lifetime by 10%. So two drinks a day is going to increase it um, even more than that. You have a a, a 10 out of 100 chance of 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 breast cancer breast cancer if you're drinking two drinks more. If you go up to six drinks, you have a 13 out of 100. 13 women out of 100 that are drinking that much going to get breast cancer. That is really scary. And it's all, most all cancers are Mm. related to, um, to alcohol. And when you combine alcohol and tobacco, which is often a combination for many, many people. In fact, we, we certainly know amongst our patients that we have people that only smoke when they drink or only drink when they smoke. And they're always smoking and drinking. And they're always smoking <laughs> they're and drinking. They're keeping those things linked together. But um, uh, when you link those two together, you greatly increase your risk of 
oral cancers, esophageal cancers, certainly lung cancers. Um, so the part that that really struck me, though, is that it said it also increases the wrinkling in your skin so that you will appear less attractive <laughs> and prematurely old. Um, and I figured really emphasizing that might help wake up and say, okay, we can we can deal with that issue. So some of these, <laughs> uh, some of the, um, the, the information that might be motivating to one person might not be to another. So we try and share all sorts of tidbits of, uh, of what might be happening. But again, it does, it's not just the risk of addiction. This is just um, what many people would consider normal consumption. Mm-hmm. of alcohol is increasing the risks of and it is cardiovascular disease. right about what they're say, they used to say was normal consumption right. for cardiovascular and and it's just not safe it's just not safe uh, drinking during pregnancy there is absolutely no safe level of alcohol when you are pregnant and uh, and yet we know that there are plenty of women that continue to drink through pregnancy, and many of them drink to a high um, a high level. So this creates the risk of fetal alcohol syndrome and other kinds of birth problems, uh, premature um, uh, births, low birth weights. And when we look at the risk, if you're smoking the same kinds of of risks occur. So it's not just risk to mother, it's also risk to baby. And um, these are are things to to be considered that we didn't used to really worry too much about. And now we need to be really very worried. When we look um, for a minute at at tobacco, we know that um, people who smoke also, particularly women, are going to have lower bone density. Uh, we know that um, we see the smoking rate is higher for certain groups of women. First Nations women, um, American Indian, um, Alaska Native women, 35% of them smoke. That's a pretty high percentage when you look at Caucasian women at about 15.5% of them smoke. Hispanic women, only 7%, and Asian women, about 5.6%. That's in, here in the United States. So um, this is uh, there's pretty significant differences among uh, different cultural groups. Also, the smoking rate is much higher for lesbian and bisexual women. In 2016, um, it was found to be almost 18% of bisexual or lesbian women were smoking. When we look at 13% for women who identify as straight. So there are differences that we need to also consider when we are looking at um, effective treatments, which we're going to talk more about in our, in our last segment. I didn't want to get too far away from um, 
uh, women and opiates because certainly the opioids have really gained a lot of um, publicity and as well they should. But uh, what we're seeing is just like increased deaths from tobacco and alcohol-related um, uh, disorders or use, we are seeing this increased risk of um, overdose and um, death related to the use of opioids for women. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about women and opioids and what we can do about it. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. David Donaldson has joined me in studio today, and we're talking about the new face of addiction, looking at women, and the alarming escalation of not only use of substances by women, but the increased morbidity and mortality related to substance use. And we're not talking even addiction here. We're just talking the increased risk when women smoke or drink or take opiates. And um, and we're seeing across the board not only increase in the, these numbers, but increase increasing numbers of death deaths related to this use. Again, we're not necessarily separating just those people who have the disease of addiction. We're talking people who, who use these um, uh, substances on uh, a regular basis. And haven't crossed that line, necessarily. Correct. 
and may not be identified as having the disease. 80% of people who binge drink mm-hmm. actually don't meet criteria for the disease of addiction. Binge drinkers are really hard to diagnose. People who only smoke uh, when they drink and they only binge drink, you know, they, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily meet the criteria for being current users, but um, they certainly can have the health consequences. And I think that's hopefully the important part of our message today is that um, even uh, what might be considered normal uh, consumption can be too much. When we and, look, And I think also... Part of what we're talking about is that that a lot of people are dying because of the disease of addiction and right. because of substance use. And with most of these numbers, males are still dying at higher numbers than females. Correct. But the emphasis is that, that women are dying at a much faster rate than they used to and at a faster rate now than, than males are. Um, so so there's something going on that we really have to stop and take a look at that that changes in our society is is speeding it up changing and and with opiates in our prescribing practices um is speeding things up so women are much as as you mentioned um in our first segment david women are much more likely if they go into the doctor complaining of a pain problem they're much more likely to get a prescription for pain medicine than are men And when we look at chronic pain populations, we find that women are overrepresented. About 60% of an average pain practice are actually women. And when we look at uh, over the age of, just look at people over the age of 60, um, 61 years, it's 80%. Of the practice is women if you look at the older population. So it's not just the young women going in and getting pain medicine. Actually, it's much more likely to be the older women, and it's the older women that are much more likely to be dying of overdoses and complications related to the use of opioids. You know, I I know in a lot of pain practices, they'll have patients sign contracts that they won't call early, if they lose their prescription, if they if they use it quicker than they're supposed to, they're not going to get it refilled early. But I would imagine that when an elderly woman is calling and saying, I've run out of my prescription, I'm in pain, that she's probably going to get a right. prescription. When they look at <coughs> impairments, both functional and cognitive impairments, women taking opioids have greater impairments than do men taking similar doses of pain medicine. So... It's affecting them cognitively much cognitively much um, more significantly than it is men, and that's um, also not a good thing. So they're more likely to get them. To your point, they're more likely to get a refill if they run out or lose their prescription, or their dog ate their uh, opiates, or they fell in the toilet. Um, they're much more likely to have um, a bigger impact and. Um, they're um, much less likely to get treatment. Much less likely to get treatment. <coughs> and if they start treatment, they're much less likely to complete it. The other side of it is, though, and the good news here is that when women do get into treatment, they seem to be more highly motivated and they're often more successful 
once they finally get into treatment. So that's um, that's an important thing to um, to think about. But we have to think about what's going on here. I think the reduced stigma of uh, women um, using alcohol. I think the reduced stigma of well, the in, let me put it another way: the increased acceptance among young women of smoking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think there's still a stigma associated with that. Um, and the increased access that women have over men for opioids uh, creates um, a, a very interesting reason or a series of reasons as to why women might be using more. The differences in why women use, I think, is also something to really be considered. And we've talked about this before, but in general, men use to take a good situation and make it a better situation, to increase pleasure or excitement or um, to increase enjoyment. And they're often doing it at a football game or the golf course or at a barbecue. They're much more likely to be doing it socially. Uh, women are much more likely to be using um, to change how they're feeling and to take a bad situation and make it a tolerable situation. Yeah. So using it to medicate pain emotionally as well as physically and using it to manage stress, um, whether it's the stress of connecting socially or the stress of managing um, raising children or the stress of of keeping work and home life going they're more apt to have that wind down drink um, Mm -hmm. that ends up causing the blackout for the evening and puts them at higher risk for domestic violence um, for sexual assault for other types of violence that um, may occur because of their intoxicated state and um these kinds of things need to be considered as we're talking about and planning for the treatment of women who have the disease of addiction. There is an increased number of, particularly with inpatient treatment centers, of gender-specific, where the women are treated in, um, in separate uh, facilities or um, separate areas within a treatment facility to address some of their needs. Well, and... and Part of what's so effective about that is it becomes a safe environment for them to be able to uh, deal with much of the trauma that happens from addiction, but it also becomes a place for them to be able to identify um, that their drinking patterns are are normal for women and that the things they were doing aren't something that that needs to to increase shame so much as needs to be they need to have help finding new ways to manage stress and and life. Women are much more likely, as as you said, to uh, drink or use um, out of um, a stressful situation. So uh, coping with stress is is very important. For men, avoiding the people, places, and things seems to be a more effective way of uh, helping them uh, decrease their their use of um, substances. So fairly standard treatment has been 
after inpatient, when they go into the outpatient level, that they're going to programming three to five times a week, and then they're expected to go to an AA meeting mm-hmm. or a 12-step meeting or a recovery support meeting every night. Um, and then they're also expected to get a sponsor and work these steps and do all of these different assignments. And just that list, if you're just a male, it's overwhelming. But for a woman who's then also expected to still have dinner prepared and to still have the kids ready for bed and to um, still have things going for breakfast, those expectations tend to be a reason to drop out or to mm-hmm. just not, not sign up for treatment in the first place. Um, and And... So part of what I thought was so so interesting when I was looking at this was how much more online support there is mm-hmm. for for um, women when they reach out. There's there's some some very interesting blogs, some very supportive blogs that are out there, and and online communities of women helping women um, stay sober and and normalizing a lot of what's going on in their world um, and the changes they're facing. And providing that support in a way that might be more conducive um, to that woman uh, getting the help that she needs and doesn't have to worry about, I don't have transportation, I don't have child care, uh, I, evenings are really hard because I have so many other things that I have to do uh, in my life. So uh, that's a really important um, a change that I think is very positive that there are many more ways in which a woman can access treatment with um, without necessarily increasing her <laughs> level of stress and decreasing her feeling of being successful. Because I think that's the other piece of it. When we have the same expectations and the same treatment plan, women are going to feel less successful than men because it's going to be, in many ways, potentially more difficult. So thinking about the ways in which we need to help women, looking at the ways in which some medications might be more helpful to women, looking at ways in which we can decrease the stigma, all of these things are really important to help our women get to be much more successful. Thank you for being here today, David, and thank you all for listening. And we will see you next week on Detailing Addiction. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? 
Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and Medical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Great to be back here on a beautiful, chilly fall morning.